hello there. Pull up a chair, prop up an elbow, or do whatever you want to do. Thanks for joining me today. I am going to be doing a series that I will call the Radiation Rants. I am now so inflamed with radiation on my chest, I don't want to give the psychopaths who've done this to me any get off on their, um, you know, the sadomasochism part of psychopathy, but it's pretty bad and um, you know I'm sure the intent was to disable me a long time ago so just look at it this way I made it past where they would have put me right had I not been paying attention they could have disabled me even more but they don't understand us they just do not understand us so today I want to talk about a few things because we never needed them okay they needed us for our tax dollars then I'd also like to talk about let me see here um, I had, and also, when they got us in the financial thing, had to do with, um, gives us some better dates to look at. And then also the 1800 censuses, why is the Federal Reserve a private corporation robbing us to pay them? Um, and I have some good article sources. I will not be going through every little thing about those things because, well, so little time, so much crime. So anyways, just as a little recap from the United States side today, there has been a murder trial here that just concluded. The Murdoch, M-U-R-D-A-U-G-H. These things are solid gold to these people. If you, if you didn't get the memo, every murder trial that has been televised in the United States since the Ted Bundy murder has been fake, also known as a PSYOPs, okay? So, yeah, if you don't know why, go look at Psychopath in your life. Right there on my main page, I explain exactly how this little trick happened, right? It was the Ted Bundy trick of all tricks, right? That was how they identified supposedly what psychopaths were. That was how they started airing fake crimes on TV, you know, like the O.J. Simpson. Oh, any, any televised murder in the United States is fake. Just leave it alone, okay? And this is a pretty good one because this is really getting the nation's attention. And these things could go on forever because just yesterday, and I'm, I'm not following it, okay? I'm just reading the headline. Just yesterday, his brother, Randy, Randy Murdoch, breaks his silence for the first time since jury convicted his younger brother Alex of killing his wife and son and says he's not telling the truth about their brutal murders. <laughs> I guess it's part of this um, death thing, this fake death. Uh, they had a, uh, and, you know, the jury has to be fake too, right? I mean, the, the lawyers in the courtroom are all liars. The judge on the bench knows this is all fake. So, yeah, the lies in this country are just phenomenal, right? <laughs> so this was a pretty funny angle. And remember, real people sit around and make up these stories, okay? I, I, I would want to interview someday the people who made up the real stories about cannibalism, <laughs> but I probably won't get to there. But anyways, <laughs> as part of this story, they have them all. The death of his housekeeper, Gloria Satterfield, who the Murdoch family claimed tripped over the dogs and fell down the stairs while working at their hunting lodge was also raised during the case. <laughs> so this guy has, he's, he's also, Murdoch is an attorney, okay? <laughs> so, if you have seen any U.S. murder trials that have been televised, 
rest assured they are fake okay <laughs> this is nothing but a movie set okay um, and then a little piece of news about the psychopaths that run Silicon Valley um, um, Google <laughs> Google Google's um, let me see one of the Google founders Sergey his ex-wife is the one who started 23andMe and Wojcicki and is also related to Susan Wojcicki who up until recently ran YouTube <laughs> and they said that um, Susan met Sergey and them because she was one of the first Google employees and she rented them her garage <laughs> I rest my case on all these people renting things in their garages. Well, they're just not that talented, right? So they got to come up with one story and stick with it. So why is all of Silicon Valley being discovered in garages? Well, why don't you take a look around? Those are some very expensive homes there. <laughs> no one needed to work in their garages, okay? <laughs> it just made sound for a better story. So anyway, so the latest CEO, this guy named Pichai, P-I-C-H-A-I, he's having a tough time with his time with the employees. <laughs> they, they, they absolutely don't understand us, right? They don't understand why we'd like working, why we would like staying with our own communities and our own families and doing our work and not slugging in to be around a bunch of them, right? They, they just cannot get it, right? Uh, and he went on to say because all this real estate is crumbling under their little feet, right? They have all these big locations all over the world that they've rented that they're <laughs> now defaulting on. Um, he said, this is a direct quote, There are people, by the way, who routinely complain that they come in and there are big swaths of empty desks, he said last week. It feels like a ghost town. It's just not a nice experience. So he's feeling like people are complaining because when they come in, there's big swaths of empty desks. And what he is suggesting is that people start sharing desks. So if you're working in an office that they probably haven't defaulted on, and I'm just making up this defaulted part. <laughs> I'm sure they are defaulting on this, but I haven't researched it, okay? So I'm sure that the employees being shoved back into the buildings that they haven't defaulted on are expressing, you know, hey, I, I did fine working in my home. What's the problem? I'd have to come back to an office. So he's saying, listen, you jerkheads. Real estate's expensive. I want you to start sharing desks. <laughs> so they've gone from treating people in Silicon Valley like heroes. Um, and uh, when I was going through the lawsuit with Intel, I had to, I, I did temp work. <laughs> I went from $120 an hour to, well, I started out about $10 an hour. I, I eventually got up to about $20 an hour. <laughs> um, yeah, and temp work in some of these buildings was quite good because they had full cafes, uh, full service, you could get anything you wanted, massive amounts of food all over the place. <laughs> Being a starving person going into the lawsuit, I also took advantage of their extraordinary employee benefits, right? So yeah, they've gone from all these benefits. This, this is how it always works. They lure us in with the good stuff and then smack us on the head with the reality, right? So, um, he's confused, they were complaining. Anyway, so, the deal is this. Is in this article it said um, there the simple motivation behind this penny-pinching parent company alphabet is under pressure that is because once you take Google's search engine revenue away more than half of the group's 282 billion in annual revenue disappears 
subtract U2 from the remainder, and what's left is essentially a mismatch of loss-making activities. Yeah, yeah, and we funded all that with our tax dollars, kids. We funded it all. See, here's the thing that has been on my mind for years now. Oh, boy, here we go. Okay, Mark, you don't need to, hey, you don't need to get involved, okay? <laughs> so, let me, give me a second here. Okay, okay, now. So here's the thing. So they treated them like royalty to get them into that trap, which is Silicon Valley, and now everybody's complaining about sharing deaths. Well, there you go. That's how it all works, right? Just like they lured all these people over here with the promises of this great new country. <laughs> okay, so I was trying to give you an outline, then I started reading some of this stuff. So let me get back on track here. Um, because my main point for today is some of the sneaky actions these people do and how they literally got us to stop sharing any empathy with each other. Because there's this thing going on that people seem to feel like, unless it's happened to them, not much reason to be concerned. So I've been thinking for years, how did we get here? Well, first they had to do was chisel away our empathy, right? And I'll obviously be getting much more into that. And the people in charge obviously have no empathy, right? None. Why do they have no empathy? Well, because none of them even know who their own mother is. So these are people who are socially disconnected from the same reality that we have. Different kind of upbringing, different kind of deal, okay? A good mother can teach us a lot about empathy, okay? These people miss that whole chapter in life's lessons, okay? They were raised by also distanced psychopathic type personalities. So while they have no empathy, the goal has been to bring us down to their level, right? Get us not thinking about empathy. And there was an interesting case in New York that started all this research and all of these cases are always planned, planned events. And then what happens is the researchers come in and evaluate them because they absolutely do not understand who we are. And they did this to learn, I believe, also to how to learn how to disassociate us. Just stop right now. Stop. Not going to work. Okay. Um, I just can't have him jump up here with all my cords. <laughs> just would not make my day. So anyway, so, okay. And I also have a couple of resource articles. I am not going to go into every inch of this Federal Reserve business, but they need us. We never needed them. They use us for our tax base. And the, in order for this to all work, they had to disconnect us from each other. And how did they do that? Well, by chipping away at our empathy. It is a simple fact is how I see it. So let me wander back up here, okay? Because every... Every major effect, like a war or anything like that, these people do, always, always has something sneaky up their sleeve for it, okay? So, where am I going here? Um, oh, I had another piece of news that I want to share before I get started here. <laughs> Lindsey Graham from the United States Senate 
noted that tens of thousands of Americans have died from overdoses from fentanyl coming across a border and criticized President Joe Biden. This administration has done nothing about it. I'm going to introduce legislation to make certain Mexican drug cartels, foreign terrorist organizations under, let me see, to make certain Mexican drug cartels, foreign terrorist organizations under U.S. law and set the stage, get this part, to use military force if necessary to protect Americans from being poisoned by things coming out of Mexico. So what they're talking about is actually um, just bringing the military into Mexico, the <laughs> U.S. military into Mexico. Oh, the arrogance of these tranny. Oh, you know, I never, I, I, I never, the part that's also stunned me about this is these are all women. All these people in charge are women without penises pretending like they're men. And who would have guessed that women would be so evil, right? Well, because it took their um, disassociating them from their empathy and stuff. And then I guess if your parents are psychopaths and you think you're the chosen one, I guess you just slide into that role, right? So anyway, so let me wander back up here. Um, I don't think I have any more news I want to share today. Um, so why are we looking into the um, feds today? Well, the first decade of the 1900s, so we're looking for dates here when these people took over, right? Was a time of visible transition, right? The economy was industrializing. Factories were sprouting up and people were moving from farms to the cities. Immigrants were swelling the population and you suddenly heard all sorts of new languages on the streets. Democracy in the country, which had once been a very elitist affair, was changing. So what made that change? Well, they made the, they had the panic of the 1907. Basically, how it works is this. The federal, and I'm only going to say this a little bit because I really want to get back to the more interesting part about this empathy deal, okay? And I'll give you some key words to look for. The Federal Reserve is paid back real money from the people of the United States worth billions, replacing money that never existed in the first place. All of this comes from our labor, okay? All of it, okay? If we had not given them our labor, they would not have anything. They would not have a penny to invest in those expensive cars. They would not have a penny to treat us with expensive vaccines and medicines that were murdering us, okay? They would not have had a penny to put smart meters on all of our homes to murder us, right? All of this money came from us. They could not have pulled any of this off if it weren't from the revenue that we created doing actual work and so what they did was they, they, they were forced into paying us for actual work, right? So then what else did they do? Well, they put all their friends into businesses to then sell us more stuff, right? So any money they paid us for work, they could get back through taxes. They get back through cheating us out of, out of deals for different necessities and stuff. So the whole effort, really, if you look at it this way, in the early days, they set up mining towns and they had company stores, okay? And if you worked in that mining town, you would buy all of your goods at the company store. And that company store would then deduct your expenses from your salary, okay? Well, how is this any different now? We're still basically buying from the company store, right? What has changed? This has just been a cut and paste operation from the very beginning, okay? 
So, yeah, so if they can control the money, they can control us, right? But where do they get the money from? They get the money, please stop. They get the money as a direct result of our labor. See how it works? So, anyhow, so yeah, because, and they always do a cause and effect. So if you start to trace this money deal back and start to think, huh, wonder when these people really took over. Well, we have the panic of 1907 to look at. And um, they said that um, American bankers realized very well just how bad their industry was doing. A man named Paul Warburg. This will open up a lot of information if you write this down. W-A-R-B-U-R-G. One of the great American bankers of his day said in 1907 that the American banking system then was about at the same point as 15th century Italy or Babylon in 2000 BC. Just a few months after Warburger made that statement, the country suffered the panic of 1907 and it was particularly severe. To start things off, in 1906, a devastating earthquake destroyed 80% of San Francisco with reconstruction efforts underway. The capital was very tight. It is always a rinse and repeat operation to rob and steal. Would they steal during San Francisco earthquake? Well, they stole all the water in the Hetch Hetchy Valley. They created the Hetch Hetchy Valley and stole all that. All those people that thought an earthquake was coming, they were told to pack their pack one bag, one tiny bag, and exit their homes, okay, by force of gun, okay? They exited their homes. Well, then they went and robbed their homes, and then they threw the dynamite and said, oh, wait a minute, we had an earthquake, right? See how it works? So they always... <laughs> It's always, this is nothing but a crime scene, okay? So anyway, so that's how that all got started. So if you want to start understanding how, and it's a very interesting time because um, between 1790, here, here, here we get some dates, okay, to 1820, um, oh, wait a second here. Oh, let me finish this Federal Reserve thing first. I want to give you an article if you'd go look for yourself, okay? Because 1908, Federal Reserves came in around what? Um, earlier. And um, they got into play early 1900s, okay? And early 1900s is when I suspect these people took over. And likely at this juncture is when it might have happened, Okay. And there is a very well-resourced article that I found that I will give you the name of. The Federal Reserve is privately owned. Facts are facts. The Federal Reserve is a private company. How it works is money goes through them, through the little scam, right? And um, the Federal Reserve right now is over there gambling like crazy with all these bankers and stuff. And um, what they're doing is, um, well, they're stealing everything. And what's going to happen is everybody's going to be stuck with higher tax bills, okay? Okay. The Federal Reserve will always debase the currency to take its cut and guarantee that the government has a tax base available to feed its bureaucratic family. That would be the City of London. The government is a total slave of the Federal Reserve. For example, analyze the latest real estate boom. 
there will be a major boost in property taxes based on the new valuations. Many people will be surprised when they receive their new tax bill. This will guarantee more money for the government coffers. They know that people will do almost anything to keep their homes. What's another job or two per family? Besides, the extra job will provide more tax revenue for the government. This will require more daycare or babysitting services for many families, which create more income for the government. This will cause more meals to be eaten out, which creates more revenue for the government. Meanwhile, prices will continue to go up, which creates more sales tax revenue for the government. Um, so I think you should get the picture from that, right? We're, we're, we're caught in this big lie and trap, okay? Because they know this. And this was a good quote here. The illusion of money has destroyed most people since society governments were developed. Democ democracy feeds on the illusion of something for nothing. As each demagogue promises more than his competition, the tax burden becomes oppressive. The monetary illusion serves to conceal the costs through currency debasement. This assures the complete destruction of the society that embraces this perversion. Any attempt to introduce logic into dialogue will be defeated by claiming you're an elitist devoid of compassion. Envy, hate, and manipulated passions are the hallmark of democracies. And you hear this with people all the time. And you hear those stupid Samsung people. They got a really bad deal. I've been with Apple all this time. They, they, we actually then start to fight for these people, okay? Like they're our friends. Like they're our family. So envy, hate, and manipulated passions are the hallmark of democracies. While all this destruction is occurring, money diverted by the mechanism of currency debasement is constantly being transferred to the British Crown in the city of London. So the Federal Reserve holds a monopoly on the issuance of currency of the United States. So yeah, they print the money and they are not even part of the government. Okay, so anyways, go take a look yourself. We, they never needed us. The Federal Reserve is a private institution. It is owned. Please, please stop, Rob. Some days I think there's a plot to... <laughs> rode the rest of my sanity. He tried to come up here from one side. Um, okay. The Federal Reserve is a private institution. It is owned by the 12 regional Federal Reserve Banks, which are each in turn owned by a combination of regional banks, commercial banks, foreign banks, and miscellaneous individuals who have inherited pieces passed down through generations. That is what it is. So I'm going to get off of that right now. And hopefully everybody stays settled down here. Let me get back to this empathy stuff. Oh, and also I will be getting back to, here's what I think happened. I was talking before about the census records that have been missing in this country. There's some dates here i got to take a look at. Uh, because I did a show about it. Can't really remember all the details, but... Um, I took a quick look, and um, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Do these census records going missing have to do with maybe population of people who went missing and their things stolen, right? 
because I've been looking into the gulag in Russia, and that's pretty pretty insane, you know, what they got people to do. And I believe it all had to do with everybody's fear of death, because why else would you go to the gulag? They were raping the women daily. I mean, the, the, I'll have to back away from that one. It has to do with our view of death and control, right? Okay. Um, because the census data, I think, covers from 1790 to 1820. So what's the deal there? Why did all those records go missing? Well, it's a pretty extraordinary story they told about how they went missing. I covered that in a show or two. Um, there's probably a pocket of people there that just went missing, right? They probably came over here early, built up a lot of wealth, and they went missing because um, they went missing from this particular area. We're back in Ohio again, right? Um, there are no schedules, no schedules of census for the states of Georgia, Kentucky, Tennessee, the territory of Mississippi, and large portions of the mostly unsettled territory north of the River Ohio. Um, so yeah, so the Northwest Territory, that's the first possession of the United States. So we're looking at the census records just happened to come missing from the first territory that was in possession of the United States, right? Um, compromise in the region known as the Old Northwest, South and West of the Great Lakes, Northwest of the Ohio River, and East of the Mississippi River, including the present states of Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, Michigan, Wisconsin, and part of Minnesota. So, we give you that some thought because something happened in that area, right? <laughs> Why did they go to such extraordinary lengths to lose those census records? Um, okay. Um, okay, before I move on to this empathy thing, I, I think I've covered all this other stuff. And I think that what you'll find in all these cases is they always trick us, right? By telling us they're going to treat us fairly, dangle some carrots, then they bring out the sticks, right? Okay. Um, and also people have been programmed to make ourselves feel better at the direct expense of somebody else. Makes you feel a little bit stronger, right? If you can dunk somebody else. Look at all the words people are using on social media. Jeez, go no further than that. You know, so-and-so calls out so-and-so. So-and-so did, you know, just like, wow. And they got to put their pictures in those thumbnails showing shocked expressions. <laughs> rinse and repeat. Rinse and repeat. Oh, here's one other piece of news I wanted to move up. <clears throat> um, there was a, uh, I've been talking about this for several years, about how <coughs> teachers have been having privacy laws in schools in this country for a number of years. And it's all orchestrated. And um, there was this direct quote I got from one of them. And what they're doing is, if your kid decides they want to become another sex, to be, probably become popular in school because this is kids, right? Hold on a second. Rock, come on. Then the teachers will keep secrets from you. And I ta started talking about this so many years ago, I feel like I'm numb from it all. But let me remind you of it, okay? This is a direct quote. So if you thought I was crazy talking about the schools conspiring against our kids, well, Principal Mark Rubin Torres, who presides over Orange Grove, Orange Grove Middle, Middle School, wrote, Teachers and staff, if you are like me, you may have been challenged recently to keep some of our kids' pronouns and preferred names straight. 
and to remember what can and can't be shared to families. Another portion of the email reads, please be very careful. Students in red are not comfortable with us sharing information to their parents or guardians. This can be cognitively challenging. It is our responsibility to protect student privacy in these matters. You've given the kids over to the state. I had to find that show I recorded a few years ago. I screamed at the microphone, get the kids out of schools. Anybody hear me? I don't know. I don't know. You keep them in their hands and you can't keep acting surprised about the outcome is all I'm going to say on that matter. Okay, let's take a look at empathy. But before, um, the case that I believe, and obviously I wasn't there, but the case that I believe got them studying about our empathy was this case. Now, part of this case could be true, right? There could be a woman named Kitty or maybe some other woman who was getting murdered and people didn't come to the rescue. So they could have set up this scenario, right? But it has a lot of flaws in it. So before I get going as far as, and this has to do with, I believe they've gone after our empathy by testing our ability to respond to each other. And that's where they came up with this thing called the bystander effect, okay? And, it, you know, I'm kind of nuts about figuring out how this stuff all got started. So how I believe it got started was this 1970s case called the Kenny, Kitty, Kitty, Kitty Genevieve's case. And it's called the bystander effect, okay? Okay, here we go. Oh, it helped I plugged in my speakers. Okay, here we go. If you saw someone actually being murdered, would you take action? Would you call the police or maybe try to get involved? These are the questions that the Kitty Genovese case has brought to the minds of anyone that hears about it. The story is a case of a roller coaster. It involves power relations, media sensationalism, and the actual establishment of the 911 system. It's most known for its connection to the bystander effect. Sometimes known as Genovese syndrome, the bystander effect has forced psychologists to take a hard look at how and when people make decisions about getting involved with conflict. But before we dive into about the bystander effect, this video is going to be talking about the Kitty Genovese case. So first of all, what happened to Kitty Genovese? At 3 in the morning on March 13, 1964, Kitty Genovese walked home to her apartments in Queens. On the way, she was approached by William Mosley, who had been following her home. Mosley ran after Kitty, eventually caught up to her, and then stabbed her multiple times. She screamed for help, and a neighbor yelled towards Mosley to leave Kitty alone. Mosley quickly fled the scene, and Kitty ran to her apartment building. However, Mosley came back after a few minutes. He found Kitty lying in front of a door to the back of the apartment building. He stabbed her multiple times, stole some money, and ran away again. In total, she was stabbed over a dozen times, and the entire attack took place over 30 minutes, during which time multiple calls to the police were made. At 4.15 in the morning, Kitty died as she was being taken to the hospital. In a few days after the murder, Genovese's death did not receive much attention. It took a week for the police to find the murderer. In fact, they actually originally named Kitty's girlfriend as a suspect. So why has this case lived on as one of the most famous murders in America, 60 years after it happened? Well, this brings us to the New York Times story. Word got around to the staff at the New York Times about Kitty's murder. But the actual murder wasn't what interested editor Abe Rosenthal. It was the witnesses to the murder. 
Police had interviewed 38 people in their investigations. Five of them gave testimony at the trial. I'm going to have to shut this off and go take care of him. And uh, I'll be back on the other side. A lot to manage around here. Because they are so sick. I haven't even taken pictures of... Oh, wait a minute. Did I already turn it off? No, I guess I didn't. I haven't even taken pictures of how sick my pets are. But anyway, so let me, let me shut this off and then I'll be back on the other side. It's going to start right now. Let me see here. Two weeks after Kitty's murder, the New York Times published an article titled 37 Who Saw Murder But Didn't Call Police. The article took the nation by a storm. Media outlets called it a failure, casting the city of New York into a dark light. People saw it as a failure of humankind, and many people called it a case of urban apathy. That same year, editor Abe Rosenthal published a book called 38 Witnesses. He called on us all to question how we act in the face of crime and how the urban environment may impact our decisions. These questions still haunt many psychologists and academics today, and in fact, entire courses have been created based on this case. The search for answers has shaped the way many people look at decision-making and the way that they go about their life. But let's go back to a minute about the New York Times article. So the story's first paragraph reads, For more than half an hour, 38 respectable, law-abiding citizens in Queens watched a killer stalk and stab a woman in three separate attacks in Kew Gardens. Later on, it mentions, Not one person telephoned the police during the assault. One witness called after the woman was dead. Wait a second, you might be saying. Didn't you say people actually called the police? Yes. In the 50 or more years that have passed since New York Times published this article, much criticism has come out against it. New details about the case have been revealed. That Kitty did not die alone, but in the arms of a friend. That multiple calls were made to the police before her death, and that some witness statements to the police were discarded because they already got the call. Certainly, 38 people did not see Kitty die. Of all 38 people interviewed by the police, many of them heard screams, looked out their windows, saw nothing, and then went back to bed. The New York Times has gone back to review and correct information that was originally shared in the incorrect article. If you want to learn more about uncovering the facts of this case, I recommend that you watch The Witness. This documentary follows Kitty's brother, Bill Genovese, as he tracks down information on Kitty's life and her death. He talks to reporters involved in the case, witnesses who were shocked to learn that they were one of the 38 and other people involved. It was actually nominated for a News and Documentary Emmy Award in 2018. So the story put out by the New York Times wasn't entirely accurate, but the impact of the Kitty Genovese case and the story that soon came after it is true. Sociologists, psychologists, and journalists have spent the past 50 years researching the bystander effect and something else called the diffusion of responsibility, two phenomena in which people fail to act due to the amount of bystanders present. These phenomena seek to explain, I thought you were going to do something about it, or I didn't want to get involved. The case is also one of the reasons that the 911 system was put in place. Before Kitty's death, you could only call the operator and then ask to be connected to the local police station. Or you could call the station's number directly. Three years later, federal agencies put in a plan to create the 911 system as we know it is today. The first 911 call was made in 1968. Now there's a lot of stories within this one case. There's a story of a witness who did fail to call the police. There's a story of a falsely reported article that went on to be sensationalized in the media. And there's a story of how we as people react to the idea of the bystander effect and the diffusion of responsibility. I hope you enjoyed this video, and if you have any questions about the bystander effect or... I think you um, get the idea here, right? Um, 
I don't believe for a second this case was real, but what I do believe for a second is they've had us under a microscope to analyze and slice and dice and to learn how we behave. That I am very much in, on board with, um, and that becomes more and more obvious, okay? Because um, I believe it has to do with our mothers. For example, my mom was a very empathetic person. She was. I talked about her during the Montana show. Um, she was raised on a homestead in Montana, and um, very empathetic, for example, and we learn these from our mothers. Um, when my dad was going to be stationed in Spain, um, that would entail us going there with him, right? Because that was, we were going to go there and live on base housing. And part of the deal was, was that my dad, for whatever reason, thought that we would leave our dog um, with somebody else. And my mom told him, in no uncertain terms, that if he planned, made any plans to leave the family dog behind, that he would be going to Spain on his own, and that her and the kids and the dog would be back here at home when he was done. And that was it. And she was not an aggressive kind of a person, but that was her position. So you learn these things from family. That's why I think that they always want to drag our families apart, get teachers to teach our kids, not the real people who should be passing along traits such as empathy, okay? Um, and I'll take a look at the different kinds of empathy that they have defined. Cognitive empathy. This describes the ability to understand what someone else feels. For example, specific clues in body language and tone of voice might offer insight into their underlying thoughts and emotions. Effective empathy. This refers to the ability to share with someone else to share what someone else feels. This emotional empathy, called effective empathy, generally happens automatically and can foster compassion and motivate you to offer support. Um, and then what's is interesting, people have always called me an empath, empath E M P A T H. It, it, it's, just, it's just insane, right? <laughs> Because that they have a category for those of us that they think are too empathetic. <laughs> I find it hysterical because I have, you know, they are the ones who are defining what is normal, okay? And I reject their definition, okay? But let me tell you what they say about us empaths. Empaths tend to have highly effective empathy. When people you care about face worry and stress, you experience that emotional pain right along with them. As long as they continue to struggle, you might feel anxious and concerned on their behalf. Empaths are highly sensitive. Empaths are naturally giving, spiritually open, and good listeners. If you want heart, empaths got it. Through thick and thin, these world-class nurturers will be there for you. Yeah, and isn't it kind of funny that all my life, people have said those things about me as some sort of a joke, right? Laughing about it, right? Like calling me crazy and then laughing like it's some sort of a joke. Well, my friends, that is called passive-aggressive behavior, right? Instead of telling me directly what you think, you got to come up with some sort of twisted <laughs> twisted little angle to your story, right? And, um, yeah, it, 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 it's, it's a sad state that we're in that we are constantly at the jabbing and if people like me appear to have too much empathy, it appears to be, and I'm 71 years old now, so I've had a long life of this experience, it appears to me that they don't show us much respect. And tending to criticize us for having too much empathy, to me, right now, 
makes a pretty good statement about what their views are, right? How could somebody honestly say in this world of things shredding to pieces that somebody like me with too much empathy should come up with some sort of special name, like empath? <laughs> Why? Well, look around. Look around. I think they do not understand us, okay? So instead of trying to understand us, they come up with these studies and stuff, right? So, and obviously people will have varying degrees of empathy, right? And I think your degrees of empathy are come from your very initial stages of childhood. We model our behavior around us. We see people stand up for things or we see people fall for things. And to me, that is where we get this empathy from. So what I believe they've been working on in getting the women out of the household into the workforce, obviously for the tax dollars, but obviously to also breed in this lack of empathy into us, right? Because, and I'm not making any indictments against society, but I am here to make a comment, okay? It appears to me that unless it does affect somebody personally, they have a very hard time walking in that pers other person's shoes, okay? And I'm not saying that you should get all crazy over somebody tells you something, but every time that people spend more time online with strangers on social media, you're chipping away at that little bit of empathy, right? So instead of calling up that sick and dying aunt or somebody and just, just saying something nice, right? Just saying something, get somebody to smile today, right? Those thoughts stopped occurring to our brains because we're so busy on social media, right? We're so busy with these fake murder trials. We're so busy with all this external stuff. So they really have essentially brought the circus to town. Everybody's over here feeding the elephants and having fun and laughing and stuff. And in the meantime, they've set us up completely for at least, I don't know, let's say 1900s. Well, we're, we're looking at about 125 or so years, right? If we, if we start to take a look at when things really got going crazy, right, with the money and stuff, because they introduced the money. So then they introduced it to get us to work for it so they would benefit the most. See how it works? They even have their own tax guidelines for the rich that we don't have. We're in a complete caste system, and each level of caste members thinks poorly of the other members that they perceive to be below them. You know what I mean? The, the people who got out of the caste and aren't living in, let's say, small farming towns in Nebraska and are living in Silicon Valley, they feel elevated toward the rest of us, right? Because they look around. Their surroundings are more luxurious, right? They're not having, they don't have a lack of services in their community. They don't have dangerous trains running through their communities. So we're living in a completely different world, but we accepted this world, right? And I'll get back to this. We accepted this world. Instead of, and these people, what is really interesting is they have a very strong, with their worship of Saturn, they have a very strong relationship with reincarnation and having alternate lives, right? But they have almost 99% convinced the public that death is real. Well, that was a very effective strategy, and I would have to say a brilliant move on their part, right? Because how much ammunition have they really needed to contain us? Not much, really, right? I don't see anybody with bullets outside of my window. What they do is they tell us certain things that are going to contain us. And I'll get back to more of that with the movie business. But what I'm saying is that it took us 
falling into line more with them than our fellow people, right? Now, how did we get that line disconnected from the other people? Well, money came into it, right? So if you could get up to this other caste system and be, be making more money, then you want to disregard your poor relatives and people who weren't on that same trail as you are, right? Because and that, in order to do that, you've got to chip away at your own empathy because it would be hard to see your relative not having food and things. <coughs> but if you have empathy, it would be hard. If you don't have empathy, it would seem like you were the winner of this big game called money, right? So on this game board, a very important component of it all is the money. Because the money enslaved us to give up our labor for free for something they merely printed. And they've converted our labor into things that they have converted and shipped offshore for their own people, right? We have not really advanced since the days of the company store. Amazon is a complete company store for them, right? We have not advanced. We are still using the same business model. Just take a look for yourself. Is this, The things that we have, we only have certain people we can buy from. We only have certain things. They have essentially begrudgingly paid us our wages, knowing full well that they would be able to claw back as much as our wages in whatever brutal way they possibly could. And that has been the whole way this game has been played. With fear, intimidation, and robbery, right? But in order to pull this off, it took everybody, not everybody, but most everybody, working in conjunction with evil, and the payback they got wasn't even real. It was printed money that they stole off the backs of the actual workers. See how it works? So without us, they would be nothing, right? So why are we here right now? Because we have a lot of ideas about ways that they have controlled us. We, we have put a lot of legitimacy into things that they have told us. And we have been played so hard. And nobody will look up from their little desk right now. And take a look around and understand it's happening to all of us. All of us are suffering. And it's even worse now because everybody is isolated. Everybody has taken the approach that, well, I've got mine, so I'm going to sit over here. And as they look around at people getting fired and this and that, people aren't joining together because they think it's just happening to them. Because most of them still believe the American dream, which is also the American nightmare. So most people looking around right now are in some pretty severe trouble financially. But nobody will admit it because that would admit that the American game wasn't true, right? So until we can start to admit that we've been taken, we may not be able to show much action, right? I think it's important to understand how we got here. They didn't get here with any genius tricks and stuff. They got here because we refused to understand that evil was a real thing. So we got on this game board, and they got us around the 1900s, and this is where we have been ever since then. And it took a lot of people turning on a whole lot of other people to make this thing work, okay? And even those people who turned on us are also getting the short end of the stick, right? They may right now have more assets than the rest of us. But psychopaths don't play fair. So 
they're they're banking on people seeing other people as not other people. See what I'm saying? They're banking on everybody refusing to come to the aid of the other person. For example, um, Greece had a major train accident because of their lousy system there, right? Um, people are in the streets furious, furious. What's going on in this country? Well, we're all being poisoned to death. <laughs> we're all being poisoned to death. And people may look at somebody like me and think, well, they got her, but they're not going to get me because I played by the rules. Well, okay. The rules are going to always shift, right? So it took our workforce, our dedication, but in order to get our workforce and our dedication, they had to distract us from each other. Make the rest of us not seem as important because everybody else was chasing what they thought was important, which were the money people, the people who seemed to have it all, right? That is who everybody chased. That is who everybody in villages started saving money up for so their own children could go get educated. So everybody's dreams and hope would be to come like these people. It is just this rampant, off-the-wall kind of deal, all generated by money, right? So go learn a little bit more today. I hope I've encouraged you to look a little bit more into the federal system. If at this stage of the game you're trusting the banks, well, I think you need to spend a little bit more time looking around. So anyway, so I think what's going to happen is this, is that it's going to be an interesting time point in time. Anybody going to stand up? Well, in looking at the difference between Greece and this country and their responses to train accidents and things going on, I would give Greece a better shot. But I'm not a gambling person, and I'm not going to call anybody out because I really do not know. Is everybody going to sit there passively while other people get hauled off? I don't know. It's highly possible. It's highly possible, but I don't want to get into predictive things. I'm just trying to share with you how I believe we got here. They needed all of us to back up them. And that's exactly how it is. So when I have the energy for another radiation rant, <laughs> RR, I like that, right? Railroads. Kind of funny, too, This, all these things. Because I think, I think a lot of this stuff is predestined in some regard. Um, it's all been mapped out. We all knew what we were getting in for. And I thought it was kind of funny. I still think it's kind of funny. I live in Norfolk, Nebraska. We have the Norfolk Southern train people crashing trains all over this country. We've got NATO in Norfolk, Virginia. And every time I upload my shows, they just seem to always get uploaded first to Norfolk, Virginia. Isn't that funny? Between Virginia and Belgium, those two places always seem to have my shows. So if I were you, I would um, download as much as you want. I will do as much as I can to try to come back on with another radiation rant um, because there's a lot more that I want to talk about with how they manipulate it. And I have a couple of names I want you to take a look into um, because uh, we can figure out how this happened. Until we figure out how this is going to happen, we're doomed to repeat it, right? So let's try to go out on some sort of a positive thing. And I have a really uplifting song here for you. It's called, um, let's see... Buffalo Springfield, for what it's worth. For some reason, I like this song. It kind of speaks to me. So I, I, I don't like to influence you about my thoughts about songs. So let me play out this song. And um, <clears throat> don't forget to look at my website, psychopathinyourlife.com. And I have, um, excuse me, <coughs> I have a picture to upload of my chest. And um, I'll get that done the next day or two so you can look over there. Anyway, so be safe out there. Goodbye for now.
Oh, don't leave before this song is over. I have a great story to tell you. <laughs> it's a good one. <laughs> what a field day for the heat. A thousand people in the street. Singing songs and a carrying signs. Mostly say, hooray for our side. It's time to stop. This is a good story. <laughs> okay. Got to end with a good story. Okay. Let me see here. Let me get the speakers out of here. Okay. <laughs> Protesters are starting to give Justin Trudeau a hard time. Um, if you hear the right talk about Justin Trudeau, they'll talk about him as being the son of Castro. Because there's this old rumor that Trudeau's mother had an affair with Castro and he's his offspring. Well, his mother is his mother, okay? <laughs> this is how they spread this stuff around. But this is a pretty funny one. Now, I don't understand, and I'm certainly not suggesting anything, but I don't understand how, if you have caused this much harm in the world how you would have any expectation of people in the public treating you with civility, okay? <laughs> and it took me a little bit to find this article because I heard out of the corner of my eye, ear that um, somebody's wife was trapped in a beauty salon by protesters. <laughs> so I thought it was Trudeau, Trudeau's wife, but it was actually um, Benjamin Netanyahu's wife, that crook. <laughs> I'll read you the article from the Times of Israel. <laughs> Sarah, Net Sarah Netanyahu accosted by protesters at Tel Aviv hair salon, extradited by police. 
PM's wife holds up in central Tel Aviv after hundreds of demonstrators surround storefront. Protesters also resume in Jerusalem. Okay, so what happened here? <laughs> yeah, and I realized talking about empathy, and here I am laughing my <laughs> tail off about somebody getting trapped in a beauty salon. Well, turnabout's fair play. Okay, kids, these people are out to murder me, so I can laugh and have a little bit of fun at their expense. Okay, <laughs> so let me read this article. <laughs> and like I got to tell you, I don't know why. They're allowed to go out in public without people wanting to rip their heads off. And I'm not saying literally rip their heads off, okay? Let me let me stop, okay? I'm not inciting violence. I'm just saying that why is this such a rare occurrence, okay? That that that's politically better. Why is this so rare? The Prime Minister's wife became trapped in a telepathy hair salon Wednesday as hundreds of protesters against the government gathered outside, with police called to the scene to keep demonstrators away, and Sarah Netanyahu forced to wait for hours to be extricated. Protesters against the government and its plans to curb the judiciary rallied and marched in Tel-, Tel Aviv and other cities around the country throughout the day and resumed protesting at night in several places, including Tel Aviv, Jerusalem, and some other places I can't pronounce. <laughs> in Tel Aviv, which has seen rare clashes between protesters and police earlier in the day, the demonstrators rushed to this pla- this plaza because they heard that Sarah Netanyahu was at an establishment there for a haircut. <laughs> police were quickly de- police were quickly de- quickly deployed to keep the masses away as the premier's wife holed up inside. Eventually, large police forces arrived on the scene and evacuated Netanyahu. The incident occurred as President, Prime, oh, excuse me, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu gave a statement to the nation comparing protesters who clashed with cops in Tel Aviv to settlers who rampaged through a Tel Aviv, through a Palestinian town earlier in the week. Wednesday saw some of the largest and fiercest protests yet against the government's plan for the judiciary. Uh, yeah, so, uh, <laughs> well, you know, being an American in this country where people are passively sitting around and not worried about other people getting poisoned to death? Well, that that's not a fair statement. All I'm saying is that it appears to me. <laughs> um, and then in Tel Aviv, demonstrators tried to block the highway. Yeah, I can't tell you, I can't even tell you how much this cheers me up, okay? No matter what is going on right now for me, this cheers me in. And what they chanted were things like this. <laughs> May your hair ends burn. A tongue-in-cheek reference to the far-right refrain to Arabs. May your village burn down. Opposition leaders who have backed the protests were nonetheless taken aback by a demonstrators' decision to surround Netanyahu at the hair salon. <laughs> Both opposition leaders, of course, because the opposition leaders are usually them, right? Both opposition leaders, a person called Y-A-I-R, Lapid, L-A-P-I-D, and senior opposition MK, Benny Gantz, called on protesters to leave her alone. Well, you're you're letting one group, these so-called people in charge, telling you to leave her alone. It said, just before midnight, the premier tweeted a picture of him embracing... <laughs> so this was from Netanyahu. Okay. 
just before midnight, the premier tweeted a picture of him embracing his wife, writing, The anarchy needs to stop. It could end up costing lives. Well, <laughs> it could end up costing lives. The hairstylist, who was with Netanyahu during the incident, told Channel 12 News that he was in shock from what had occurred, but had been calmed down by the Prime Minister's wife. I've, exp I've never experienced anything like this, he said. Justice Minister Yariv Levine said in a statement Wednesday night, the besiegement of the Prime Minister's wife, Mrs. Sarah Netanyahu, is insane and unprecedented. It's time to apply the rule of law to those who claim to speak in the name of the law, but who trample the law and individual rights of all those who don't think like them. Well, do they talk about us or them? Another minister, May Golan, tweeted that the protesters' place is in jail, not on Israeli streets. In Jerusalem, which saw large protests earlier in the day, hundreds of protesters marched toward the Prime Minister's residence. The demonstrators... Oh, Netanyahu isn't in charge now, by the way, if you haven't gotten that memo, okay. The demonstrators were blocked by police as they sought to barricade the road. The showdown led to minor scuffles with the cops. Earlier in the evening, police used a water cannon to disperse protesters in this other district who tried to block Route 65, a major highway. Officers arrested eight suspects who refused to clear the road. The protests coincided with the meeting of the Constitutional Law and Justice Committee, which approved for its first reading in the a government bill to radically restrict the High Court of Justice's ability to strike down legislation. The bill is one of several controversials. Well, if you want to know more, you can go look up that bill. But what I found interesting is they're just in shock. <laughs> it shocked them that protesters trapped her in a hair salon. Shocking, right? I think it should be every minute occurrence, but I'm going to go ahead and close off for now. So be safe out there, and I will hopefully see you with another exciting radiation rant as soon as I'm able to grab the, my hands around the microphone. Goodbye for now. Be safe out there.